we've had lots of trips like that together. Well, yeah, just we slept in a car once in the <laughs> park in San Francisco. That's right. One time we went to a dead show and Kim had a room with her boyfriend and none of the rest of us had a room. So we just like slept on the floor. How many, like eight of us or something? At least. Oh, yeah. There was a human on every single surface of yeah. that floor. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You got to do stuff like that when you're young because you don't oh, want to yeah. do it when you're older. You have to. Yeah. It's imperative. Now hello, hello. So I can see you. Hello. Can you hear us? Yeah. All right. Curio. Curio. We should write a theme song. We should. We really should. It needs to, yeah. But I, I feel like things like that happen spontaneously. Yeah, usually the best ones. Starts to play. Why don't you go away? Go away. <laughs> 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 I'm not sure that one goes with our, our theme for today, which is empathy. <laughs> when the show starts, go away. <laughs> you should go away. So we are on episode 28. 28. Mm -hmm. The big 2-8. And we had an idea to help bring some jolly good caring and understanding into the world to talk about empathy, maybe for more than one episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so we both did something, little experiments for ourselves to see if we could feel what it felt like to be in somebody else's shoes because that's basically like the foundation of empathy right like be imagining yourself in someone else's shoes basically yeah yeah being able to understand how they're feeling i mean that's the simplest they're... the simplest terms of it but yeah. <clears throat> so i wore a blindfold for an hour and i made lunch and i made iced tea which was very difficult oh wow well, because I make it in the microwave, because when you make it in the microwave, apparently it releases more beneficial things into the water than if you just use the kettle. Really? Yeah. Oh. I had stopped using the microwave for a lot of stuff, and I read that, and I was like, oh. Oh, I didn't know that. I wonder why. I don't remember exactly. I always use the kettle just because it's easy. It's pretty fast, the kettle. Yeah, and it's, I don't know, it's one of those really concrete, tactile experiences waiting for the water to boil and the sound. and Yeah, it's part of the ritual of making tea, I think, yeah, which is yeah. the relaxing part. Um, Ooh, that but would be a fun episode. A tea service? We could do like a tea ceremony. We could research a bona fide, real-life Japanese tea ceremony. And try that to sounds do like it. a field trip to me, like a research field trip. Yeah. And then a show. Okay. We could do right. both. Anyway. Oh. Um, whack the thing. So <laughs> what was your thing that you did? I um, I taped up my right hand and tried to decorate the Christmas tree. Now, when you say taped up, do you mean like taped it to your body? Or? I taped it all up so that I couldn't use it at all. Like Oh, you couldn't use so your fingers. That, you couldn't grab it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So you used your dominant hand? I used, I taped up my right hand and I used my left hand to try to do everything. And how did it work out? Um, it was kind of frustrating. And it was, I had to ask for a lot of help. Yeah. Like, so, 
you know, just opening the boxes and where all the ornaments are and right. getting everything unwrapped and trying to hang little tiny ribbons on the tree limbs. And it was, it was frustrating. Was your family frustrated with you or were they laughing at you? No, they were laughing at me. <laughs> Is there video? <laughs> there is no video. Chloe oh. wouldn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> they were not, my family was not buying into the whole Christmas tree thing this year, which has kind of been the norm for the past couple of years, but this year it was. Yeah, they're at that age. Yeah. There's just like, no. Not my kids, man. It's like, it's the thing to do. Really? Oh, yeah. We all go. And we even just go to a little place. There's just a dude over here that has like a t a shirt shop, a tiny little thing, and he has like ten Christmas trees out on the sidewalk. Oh, that's cool. So we go get it from him, but the whole family goes. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. To pick out one of the ten. One trees. of the ten trees. Is your tree your tree's not up yet? Is it? No, not yet. Okay. We usually do it about two weeks before Christmas, just so that it's alive longer. Right. You know. Um. So. How long did you leave your hand taped up? Um, I left it on for the duration from from uh, opening the containers with the ornaments in them. Right. To uh, when it was time to put everything away. So, I don't know, hour, hour and a half. It's about the same. Yeah. 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 So, it was, um, yeah, it was frustrating. Did you find it getting easier as time went on? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I adapted pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Um found ways to use my left hand a little more mm -hmm. efficiently. Mm -hmm. And um asking for help. Ooh. Yeah, not my favorite thing to do. No, I know. And so I had to do that, and I think I probably got more out of that. You mean as a lesson to yourself? As a lesson to myself. Right. Um just, you know, having to rely on the kids and Paul to do really simple things for me mm -hmm. and of course you know they're they helped nobody batted an eye or thought twice about it right but for me sorry for the snaff um that was that was tough wow so you made tea oh yeah i made tea the difficult part about making tea was that so i did everything else perfectly got my glass I like to use mason jars. I went and got the tea bag, the sugar. You know, I count usually anyway when my eyes are working. The water and I count the sugar. I, it's a little bit of an OCD. But um, <coughs> so I had all that down. And when I went to go to the microwave, I hadn't even thought about the microwave oh. yet. And I opened the door, put put the mason jar inside, closed the door and went, How do I? Oh, shit. How do I push the buttons? And so I was like, okay, the button's like kind of here because it's just flat. There aren't any buttons right, really. Right, yeah, yeah. And it's... so I'm just pushing. I'm just pushing and nothing's happening. I'm like, something should be happening. And so I just calmed myself down. I was like, just calmed. Because I was like getting anxious. Like, I'm never going to be able to start this. Morning. How am I going to do it? How am I going to do it? Oh, my God. <laughs> so eventually I found the button that turns it on automatically for 30 seconds. And then I just stood there and and hit it three times every time it was done because I usually put it in for about a minute and a half. Oh, okay. How but did you know it was the 30 second button? Did you count? Or did you just... I just knew where the general area of okay. it. Okay. Um, so I made my lunch, which was really funny. My niece, Asha, took video of it. I put a little bit of it up on Instagram. Um, I made tea. 
and then I cleaned up my lunch and then I went to my room because I had a load of laundry to fold. And so I folded a <laughs> co-mingled mine and my <gasps> husband's laundry. Ooh, that must have been really interesting. It was really interesting. So you, did you, did you, were you more sensitive to touch and like the whole tactile thing, feeling the fabric? Right. So that's what I started to to rely on I would go okay like and I was even at one point smelling the clothes even though they'd both been washed together his still has a more man smell yeah because he works he's in construction so his right. his clothes smell differently and they're heavier obviously Big and one. all of my shirts exhibit a have the collars cut out of them usually mm-hmm. so that was easy socks was hard But so after I had taken the blindfold off, I went back and looked at all the laundry I had folded and I had even hung up some of his shirts. Did you put it all away or did you leave? I left the piles out, but I put socks and underwear away. And out of everything, I only messed up one sock. And as I was doing it, as I still had the blindfold on, I thought to myself, this feels like his sock, but I'm not sure. So I put it in mine. So I almost had a 100% accuracy of Wow, very good. So when I started, when I put the blindfold on, I was instantly anxious. Instantly, my brain said, take this blindfold off. Yeah. And I was just like, no, you can do this. And I kept walking down the hall. By the end, I had almost lost all track of time. Oh, that's interesting. In my mind, I was in my room. In my mind, the light was on and everything was illuminated. And when I took, so I had an alarm on my phone and when the alarm went off, I wasn't prepared for it. I thought, it hasn't been an hour. And I took my blindfold off and it was completely dark in my room because I have like shades that, that keep the light out. I had no idea. And I took the mask off and I just started laughing like, so I started out anxious and not sure what was going on and then decided to just go for it. And by the end, I was like, oh, I could have done that for another hour. And I wouldn't have even. Why do you think your sense of time was compromised? Just because you were concentrating so hard on everything you were doing or the Maybe. light? You didn't have the light. I, I think my body is really sensitive to light. I seriously, mm. like when I took the blindfold off, I was like, like I was shocked at how dark it was in my room. <laughs> I think my body's really sensitive to light and I had no like reference huh. of time. You were floating in time and I space. Was floating. And I know that's a thing with people who are visually impaired is that sometimes their 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 rhythms get off. They don't know their bodies don't know when to sleep or wake or, you know. So that was really interesting. Um For me, it was, I think the thing that I learned was that that initial anxiety was really high. Mm -hmm. And all I had to do was go, no, just keep going. And then I was completely fine, which is a good lesson for me, because sometimes I buy into that initial anxiety feeling a little too much. Just kind of run with it. So, um, yeah. So, yeah. So you were confronted with this anxiety mm-hmm. and you were f- not forced but you were determined I was determined to yeah. complete the task right and you were able to do it 
<clears throat> of course, knowing that it's a finite thing, too, right. makes a big difference. Right. Like, there's an end to this. It's not going to go on forever. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, I thought, in the middle of it, I was thinking, it suddenly dawned on me, if I was actually visually impaired, I would have systems in place. Mm-hmm. I started to think about all the things yeah. I couldn't do. I was sitting there after I'd eaten my piece of tomato toast. I was sitting there going, okay, I can't listen to records. I have no idea. I mean, I could, but I have no idea which one I'm picking out. Um, I couldn't. Which could be fun. Could be fun. I tried <laughs> to call my friend Kelly, but I also have a sister named Kelly. And so I told <gasps> Siri, oh. call Kelly. And she said, which one? And I said, the one with a Y. And she said, I have no record of Kelly, the one with the Y. Oh, <laughs> right. Because, yeah. So here's what I did. I eventually, my brain got to the point where I was like, okay, I knew she had called, she was the last person to call me and she had left a message. And so I said, open last voicemail. And she did. Oh, And I said, call back. Okay. And it worked. She didn't answer, but then she called me back later. And so anyway. A little creative problem solving. Right. So. But I started to think about the things I couldn't do. mm -hmm. And then I started to think about ways that I could work around that and then I was thinking well someone who's visually impaired already has systems in place or can make systems for them themselves mm-hmm. and yeah. figure these things out and I what started out as anxiety ended up being a very like positive thing and in in a creative thing yeah yeah very creative so let's take a break right there we'll be right back I'm thinking about an article I read recently about, um, and it may be along the same lines, but it was, it was an article about how they prepare people to work with, um, how they prepare, um, medical professionals to work with people who, with elderly people who have dementia. So that's what, what Kelly was talking about. Okay. It's the same thing. Um, so welcome back, everybody. Um, the, back. the Kelly that I aforementioned um, when I was with talking, a Y with the Y when I was talking to her about why I was walking around my house with the blindfold on. <coughs> That's Ziggy, by the Ziggy, way. everything's OK. Come here. Come see my um, <laughs> when I was talking to my friend Kelly <laughs> about um, 
ways to sort of practice empathy or, or whatever. She was telling me about when she was in nursing school. She's a home health care nurse or home health care aide. She works with the elderly, people who are close to um, the ends of their the end of their lives. Um, and she does palliative care and all that. But so um, she sent me this email and said it would be OK if I read it um, to our listeners. Uh, so this is Kelly speaking. When I was being trained as a nursing student to work with the elderly, we did an exercise to learn empathy for people suffering with dementia. It was an exercise where participants learned what it's like to have dementia as they try to perform everyday tasks. Each student wore sensory numbing apparatus, such as two layers of gloves, headphones that create sounds and background noises, darkened glasses that create the feeling of macular degeneration, and popcorn kernels in our socks to create sensitivity issues for the feet. We were asked to read charts that listed several tasks we had to perform. After just a few minutes, it sets in how difficult it would be to live in this state on a minute-to-minute, day-to-day basis. There are some hospice centers that provide this virtual tour so that caregivers and family members can know what these elders experience so that we can show up with a more empathetic heart. I love that this was part of my coursework. It was very powerful and beautiful tool for empathetic, empathetic training. So what was that article that you read? Oh, I can't. You don't remember? I don't remember. It was, you know, I, I read a lot of stuff. You read a lot of stuff. I read a lot of stuff. Um, but it was, it was along those same lines. Yeah. Um, I guess we don't think about that. Like what it must feel very claustrophobic inside of a mind. Oh my gosh. And a body it has to be so, decline. so with dementia, especially our, our neighbor's, um, father had dementia and, um, he and he and I would talk, uh, my neighbor, not his dad. Mm-hmm. And, um, he would explain to me, you know, how he would interact with his dad right. and just forget knowing that something is coming up, having a, a visual reminder that something's going to happen, like a trip, say they had planned a trip and his dad would call him several times a day to ask questions about the trip. Mm-hmm. And many of the questions were the same. What time are we leaving? Etc. Etc. And, um, he was just confused and anxious about it, you know, because he couldn't retain the information, mm-hmm. um, which made it hard on my neighbor also to kind of maintain composure and be compassionate and say the same things seven times a day. Right. You know, um, but yet when I go over to my dad's house and help him, mm-hmm. he's, he's going to be 93 soon. Just the things that I know he wants to do, the things he's used to doing, because he's mentally sharp. Still there, He's yeah. totally mentally sound. Um, but his body doesn't cooperate, and it takes him a long, it takes him a long time to do just basic things. Mm-hmm. Um, he can't, he has to get up and move around, like, every half an hour or so, because if he sits too long, it's harder to get up, and right. it's more painful. So... He's not the boss of his body anymore, you know. I mean, he is, but... But not in the way that he wishes it were. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. So frustrating. So I, you know, I just show up and say, okay, what, what do you need me to do today? Mm -hmm. You want me to do work on the computer? You have, you know, yard work, housework, whatever. Just does he still know. get out and do yard work? Because I know he loved that. He, um, he comes out and supervises. Oh. And that, <laughs> and I've seen that kind of change too I guess in the past six months or so before you know he'd come out and you know tell me what to cut and what to trim right. and everything and and one time I went over there and uh I was doing some trimming and he didn't come outside with me oh he stayed inside and I thought you know he must be in pain or he trusts you now well <laughs> I think well. he does. I think he does. But I think also just being involved in the process is is important to him. Yeah. You know, yeah. just seeing what's going on and making sure that I think my dad and I are alike in the respect that we'll we'll see something and kind of fixate on it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so if yeah. I missed a limb or a branch or something, yeah. <laughs> every time he walks past it, he's going to be like, Ugh. <laughs> I can appreciate that. So it's, you know, it's tough. It's um, it's hard to see as a daughter, right. as, as a caregiver like Kelly, she probably has an, a more openness to it and she's not as invested and emotionally involved I know, as she... You know her. She gets emotionally involved in all kinds of things. It's the, the woman that she's taking care of now is getting more um, irate every day and more combative and it's really taking a toll on Kelly because she's she's I call her my old Italian grandmother because she's the one that's always like have you had enough to eat yeah I ate well here you need to eat a salad you need do you we're going uh, do you have a sweater like she's literally (laughs) (laughs) do you have have a pair of socks (laughs) mittens she's not Italian she's half Spanish but it's close enough so I call her my old Italian grandmother but I mean She's a caretaker. That's, that's what she does. She has her... empathy shooting out of her pores, you know. Mm-hmm. And when this woman is mean to her, basically, it's it's starting to really affect her. But she does get to leave. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. a job. It's not her parent or. Yeah. That would be really difficult. Um, what, what's going to happen when your dad can't take care of himself? Have you guys thought about that? Um, we haven't quite breached the subject. I think my feeling is, is that my dad has a, a will of steel. He really does. And if he is unable to do the basic things, if he's not able to socialize, which he still does, mm-hmm. um, drive, you know, if those things are, if he can't do those things anymore, his will will change. Aww. And I think that's his plan. To just be as stubborn as possible until... Until he's done. Right. And, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. He's he's told us very specifically, don't put me on any machines, no life-saving, right. nothing. You know, when it's my time to go, I just want to go. Don't, right. don't do not do anything special. Mm-hmm. 
and um, don't turn me into a robot right exactly mm-hmm. which I totally respect and understand but his parents lived into their 90s and they um, once they once they needed round-the-clock care mm-hmm. um, that was that was kind of it that was the beginning of the end that was there. the beginning of the end it was time to I'm going to be learning some chips. stuff from you because my parents are younger. They were teenagers when I was born. They're not much older than me. Way younger, yeah. So my mom will, I remember one time she called me and, you know, she has these little, like, orders for me. Like, if I die, you need to come and do this. Or, And one of them was, I don't want you to put me in a home. And I said, Mom, you're 15 years older than me. We're going to be in a home together. <laughs> No, even my mother with her fibromyalgia and her arthritis, yeah. I'm already seeing it. Even though she's still, you know, she's still young and has her same vibrant mm-hmm. personality and soul. Like, I, it hurts me to see her hurting. Yeah. To, you know, her feet hurt so bad that she can barely walk sometimes. Like, that's hard to watch as a child. You know, it's hard to watch your parent as a child. Oh, Yeah. Because you see them when you're growing up as like, you know, they can do anything. They're impervious. Right. They're just, yeah, just solid. Um, I feel like having empathy is letting go of judgments and maybe letting go of assumptions. And maybe that letting go of that ideal that we had about our parents is part of what will help us react to their aging better I hope yeah I think it's for for me there came a point when um when my dad broke his hip and that was a very definite right turning point that's what they say so after that I was like okay well I'm up to bat now it's my turn right and there was no question in my mind you know it's just this is what's happening now. Mm-hmm. And I think it took him, when I moved back home, and I, my plan was, I'm going to go visit dad at least once a week. I'm going to go see him once a week. And I, I didn't tell him that. And know. he lives like 45 minutes, so it's a little bit of a, a time. Yeah, yeah. He lives about 45 minutes away. And right. um, <clears throat> so I, you know, I went out and hung out with him and is there anything I can do and it was awkward and he didn't you know he was not embracing this at all it was like well what do you mean he knew what your plan was he could see right through you I just kind of you know went into the kitchen started cleaning stuff (laughs) this is what's happening and um and it it got a little gruff you know he got a little gruff there for a little while and um he said at one point he said you don't have to come out here every week you don't need to come out here every week and I said I said dad I want to come out here every week like I enjoy being with you and I told him that I enjoy being with you I want to I want to be with you <laughs> he was... <laughs> but to him he doesn't he he interpreted me wanting to come out as me thinking I needed to come out and that it was a burden and that is the last thing on earth that man wants to be is a burden yeah, to anybody. Right. Um, and it's that's never how I've approached it or thought of it at all. 
You know what I mean? It's almost like, oh, good. Now I can connect with my dad once a week. <laughs> well, and I think that was that was brought home to you when you when you <sighs> moved away, when you were gone. You didn't have access to him. No. And that's when he broke his hip was like a year oh, after we moved. And, right. Oh, my God. I was beside myself. You know, just that was terrible. Mm-hmm. So. So now I go out every week and it's a really pleasant experience and we sit and chit chat. He tells me stories. We look at pictures. We um, go to lunch, go to Coco's every week. (laughs) Do you really? We eat the same thing. Both of us eat the same thing every week. We get the same, one of the two of the same waitresses every week and they know us. And so there's a, you know, there are all these, there's rhythms and all these little relationships and things that happen and. He's, I remember um, when I lived with you, he was always like that. And you have that same sort of, like, maybe not to the same extent, but, like, he always ate the same thing every day. He always got up at the same time, even when he was retired, and went to the same place to have breakfast with oh, his friends yeah. every day. Yeah. Like, oh, no, I'm totally like that. Yeah, you and, are. <laughs> and I am absolutely content to be that way. I mean, it, it relieves stress, I think, because... You don't have to, like, think about anything. Yeah, it's just like wearing a uniform. I don't have to think about what I'm wearing because I'm just wearing a gray shirt and a pair of jeans. Right. Although today my shirt is not gray. It's um, Yeah, well, there's a lot of comfort in that kind of routine, too. Mm-hmm. You know, you, And for me, if I don't have to think about all that stuff, that just frees my mind up to think about a bunch of other weird things that, you know. So do you think your dad's attitude or his feelings towards you have changed since you've started to do this weekly get-together? I think we definitely know each other in a different way. Do you feel like he's closer to you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, because now um, we're both adults together. Yeah. And... um, and the, you know, the caretaking is kind of switched. Right. And so it's a good thing. I mean, I think it's a really good thing. Yeah. I just know things sometimes between fathers and daughters can be strained. Maybe I'm speaking from experience. Maybe that's another way I'm trying to live through you. <laughs> But I know for myself, like, I got much closer with my mother when I was older. Yeah. And they say with your, with daughters and mothers, once you have a baby, once you have children, that changes the relationship a lot. Right. I mean, you never met a more excited grandmother for Quinn. She, when I, when I had my apartment near her house and I was on maternity leave when Quinn was born. She would stop by every morning before work just to hold him oh. and smell him, and then she'd leave. She was gone within five minutes. She would How just sweet. snuggle with oh. him and then leave, and sometimes she'd stop on her way home after work. <laughs> Get another sniff. Get some more baby oh, sniff. that's so sweet. I think I just, I don't know. When you're growing up, you, you, you know, you have this idea of what who your parents are and what they are. And, mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And once you once you become a parent, you you see like how hard it is to make decisions and how mm-hmm. hard it is to be a good parent and how hard it is to be 
upstanding and not cuss or whatever right pay the bills like all of it is difficult and mm-hmm. so i think i have a little maybe i have a little more empathy mm-hmm. as i got older and my mom and i are a lot alike we don't look anything alike she does not look like my mother <laughs> at all but i think we're a lot alike in the the way we think maybe oh yeah yeah i think so yeah your approach to things yeah just the enthusiasm and openness and um, uh, interest. Yeah. I feel like now I actually know her. And any time before I was maybe 19 or 20, she mm-hmm. was just sort of a character. I don't even know how else to explain a it. A mom. Like the, the character of mom is played by Nancy. Right. Yeah. And and not to say she wasn't a good mother. She was a very good mother. But like I I feel like me having a child and becoming a parent allowed me to know her more. Right. And also as she got older, she grew into herself also. So mm-hmm. we can just call each other on the phone and chat or cry or whatever or talk about Doctor Who. I don't know. <laughs> It's a wonderful thing uh, when you when you hit that point where your parents are you're on the same level with them. Right. You know, you're adults, and you're and, and you, you can have see this, them as human. They're human beings, right. and um, you have this shared past and history together that suddenly is uh, separate from now. It's a it's a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. We we were talking to our therapist. <laughs> and I um, last week about this it was interesting and she was saying we were just talking about uh, child parent relationships and Mm -hmm. how parents manipulate their children Mm -hmm. sometimes without knowing it and um, and she said the child the adult child who is still seeking their parents approval not a good thing right that's kind of a sign that that relationship never grew. Mm-hmm. It never transformed mm-hmm. into um, a friendship. A healthy adult relationship. Right. Yeah. yeah. You no, you're grown up. You don't you don't get their approval anymore. Mm-mm. I mean. Wow. I had never thought of it that way. Yeah. It was really interesting. Wow. And I and <clears throat> when I think about my dad, I'm not seeking his approval. Mm-mm. I'm not. I'm not interested in that. I am who I am. He is who he is. And that's the way it is. Right. You know? Hmm. Just how we relate to one another. Well, I think that's at the core of empathy, if that's what we're talking about, is being able to relate to people. Because you can never actually, you know, we said at the beginning of the show, like, empathy is being able to imagine yourself in someone else's shoes. But you can Mm -hmm. never imagine that experience fully. You, you no. don't have the history or the perspective that that person carries with them. I could never know exactly how you feel about your dad. Right. Never. But I can try to imagine myself. And, 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 and the kernel of all of that is connection without judgment. Connection. Connection. Learning how to communicate <laughs> with people. Like I was just saying, you know, my mom and I can talk about anything. And you and your dad are having such a great time telling stories and going to breakfast and all that. Like... 
the kernel of that is us connecting with them on a level playing field where we have empathy for their situation because we have lived as parents now. I mean, our children are almost grown. Your, yours are almost grown. Mine are grown. Like we, we've had that experience now. We can connect yeah. with them on that level as humans. Mm-hmm. So if we take, if we spread that out to the broader world, I mean, how do we? Well, I think it takes a a, a great degree of openness too. Mm-hmm. Just general, you know, the openness that they talk about. They. So non-judgment. Non-judgment and just just accepting things as as they are as they come to you. Accepting people. People. Okay. And you know. It's, we have a neighbor who has chronic health issues and she she needs a lot of attention for those um and it can be a little overwhelming Mm -hmm. and it's not the neighbor i have who that my neighbor who has the parkinson's like oh not um, that one it's a different neighbor okay um, but the core, and I and I know this, and I don't know if it's just because I'm interested in psychology, because I've known lots of different people, and I have the ability to forgive, but I know that there's something deeper going on there. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's a loneliness. Mm-hmm. There's some other issues happening, and that's why she needs the attention. Right. That the physical ailments are a byproduct of something that's much bigger. Right. So... In my mind, I have a choice, you know, do I, do I get frustrated and kind of out of sorts when she needs to talk about these ailments at length? Right. <laughs> or do I think my, I am, I'm serving her by just listening. Just listening. That's it. Just listening. Just standing in her space and listening. My mom and, and I had, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, and, and genuinely caring that's right. the other part of it right. is, you know, you're in pain right now and I, and I care about you and I don't want you to feel that way. Mm-hmm. I think that's a big part of empathy too. Right. I was going to say, in that vein, my mom and I dealing with someone who was maybe exaggerating a health problem. And my mom was saying, well, why would that person do that? Blah, blah, blah. And mm-hmm. I said, it doesn't matter why they need something from us yeah so we're going to show up in that way Mm -hmm. if it's attention it's attention if it's a hug it's a hug if it's love it's love you know if it's if it's just being there right just being there and that helped that person my mom and i showing up helped that person and that was i mean i don't know how to say this so I won't. Never mind. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I guess what I'm wondering is like, can empathy be practiced? Can it be learned? Or is it something that someone's born with? Or, and if not, how do we s- spread this idea that all other humans are human? I am human. It sounded funny when it came out of my brain, but you know what I mean. Uh, <clears throat> Not my brain, my mouth. I, that's a really interesting question. I think about that a lot. 
because it seems like some people are just hardwired, like Kelly, like right. you. You know, people are just hardwired to, they just have that ability naturally, like right. they're born with it. And is it, is it something that our parents model for us when we're very young? Um, is it how they treat us right. when, when we're babies, toddlers, um, children? Um, is it how the people around us when we're young treat other people? You know, my, my, um, my mom and dad's family, they, I'm stumbling. Sorry. Um, they always helped each other. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It was a no brainer. Mm -hmm. Like, of course, (laughs) accepting help. (laughs) Right. And my family is a different ball of wax. But if somebody else needs help, it's like, okay, what do you need? So is it modeled for us? Do And then there are some people who you think, do you have a shred of sympathy or empathy or decency at all? Are you just a narcissistic bubble person? Like, wh- what right. are you totally unconnected from all the other humans? Those are the ones that concern me because how can you live a whole human life and not not feel things for other people even if they don't need you to fill them they don't need you they don't need your help let's say you hear a story about someone in another state or another country or something like how can you live your a whole human life full of all of its human experiences and not be able to to feel something for another human have that connection like I, i don't know i just I guess I've been dejected lately and not I'm a Gemini everybody um (laughs) (laughs) I'm hopeful on one leg and very dejected on the other like the whole the whole migrant caravan thing the whole immigrant crisis all of it is it's really hurting me it's like hurting my soul that people can't see that these are just children these are just women these are just men looking for food and work and a safe place to be they're no different than us they're not but maybe there are some people out there and i'll i'll call him out our president who has never suffered any of those things it's not in his range of experience to be hungry it's not in his range of experience to be cold or uncomfortable or um sad even i mean i i don't even see that man as having the ability to be sad right he how how do you empathize with somebody if you just don't and maybe he just doesn't want to he doesn't have to he doesn't have to but neither do i neither do you it's hard it's it hurts it hurts that's what i'm saying my soul hurts lately it hurts to empathize with other people and it's some people are adverse to that kind of feeling but you know? it, it might hurt, but also it opens you up for lovely, wonderful experiences. Mm-hmm. And let me tell a little story about my marriage right now. <laughs> Sometimes I, I overestimate the amount of, how do I want to say this? The other day... <laughs> Okay, Donna. (laughs) 
Shout out to Donna. Let me get, um, let me get a drink. <laughs> let me go way back in time. The dogs will go over to where the treats are and they will whine or jump up and down or Ziggy will talk until you come over and he looks at the treats over and over again until you give him one. <laughs> and I can I can withstand that kind of cuteness. I don't necessarily give in to that very often. My husband was home one day uh, on the weekend and we were sitting at the table breakfast time and I'm ignoring them. I've already, already fed them. They've had a couple treats and he keeps giving them more and more treats and they keep coming at him. They keep coming at him. Keep keep coming at him right. and he gets mad at them and and fine and like gives them more treats and i'm like <laughs> well i said something i don't remember exactly but i used the term weak-minded and it's not what i meant to say right. what i meant to say was like you're you're letting them manipulate you basically like just try to ignore right. them yeah. but it, it just popped out of my mouth <laughs> something something weak-minded and then we and moved on it was glossed over finished eating i went into my room and of course i know that you probably understand this feeling but i was eating myself up inside about using right. that word because yeah. i try not to be a cruel person even you're not i'm not i'm not a cruel person and i try I try really hard to like find the right words so that i'm not hurting people mm -hmm. and i said that to him and i love him more than anything in the world he's my best friend why would i say that to him he's not weak-minded at all right it wasn't what I meant. And so I could have just continued to let the gloss that we had put on it, he and I had put on it, mm -hmm. I could have just decided this will blow over and whatever. And I got in the shower and I, and I said to myself, no, be a big kid. You can handle this. And so I finished getting dressed and I walked out and I said, I need to apologize to you. I did not mean weak-minded. Here's what I meant. And I'm really sorry if it hurt you. And he goes, you said weak-minded? Like, he didn't even hear it. <laughs> You're in there wrestling with your conscience. like <laughs> Right. But in that moment that I was saying, that I was apologizing, basically, and like, you know, eating crow, I started to feel more open about my relationship with him. It made me feel closer to him. And then I went over and hugged him and he, he nuzzled in and I felt like a big girl. I put my big girl <laughs> panties on. Normally I would run away and feel terrible about myself and full of shame, but mm -hmm. I didn't. And it, I feel like it was probably a non-existent thing for him and it was a small thing for me, but like being open to having those conversations, to connecting with people, I think, yeah, it can be painful, but it can also be lovely oh yeah it can be a, a learning experience you could find a friend you didn't know you had I mean oh I have a story go Kimmy go <laughs> along those lines just um uh our neighbor Faye when I first met Faye and it was funny Chloe asked me the other day how did you meet Faye and I met Faye she moved into our neighborhood when the kids were really little mm-hmm and um, our, there was something wrong with our fence. Our fence was broken and our dog got out, German Shepherd mix, um, while she was out walking her little tiny Pomeranian mix. Right. And so Delilah runs up to Rory, Rory's the Pom, and starts barking. Didn't hurt anybody, but you know, kind of flipped out. And so Faye picks up Rory, takes her home. I get 
I get the dog in the house. I get on the phone with my husband. I'm like, we gotta fix the fucking fence. Oh my god, just attack the neighbor. And she's knocking on my door. And you want to hide, right? And she said, she said, I just wanted to let you know that that was really scary. She was, and this is Faye. She's very forthright. Right. She's she just does not fuck around. And she said, you need to get that that gate fixed because you know I'm okay Rory's okay but if somebody else were around with their little dog and your dog you know just kind of went into mom mode you know this could be much worse and I said I know you're right you're absolutely right um and we're working on it and I'm so sorry and you know we'll do our best to make sure (laughs) she doesn't get out until we get the gate fixed and everything so anyway we had this connection which involved a degree of humility on my part mm-hmm. and a degree of honesty and and a, I don't know what else on her part. But I think the compassion Well, that was brave of her in. to come up to your door and say that. Well, that's Faye. Yeah. She's <laughs> But that that would be if I were to do something like that it would that would it would be bravery, I would say. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for me too. I mean, it's yeah that would be very hard um but the the compassionate piece there i think is that i really truly did care about her and her dog i didn't know her you know she was brand new to the neighborhood that was the first time we had ever met Mm -hmm. but i don't want i don't want anybody to get hurt because of my animals you know what i mean and she so we we had this connection and it's to this day you know we're very good friends and and I admire that about her so much. But it's, it's. I think humility can be the flip side of compassion too. Is the flip side or a lead in? Well, a lead in, or maybe a partner, or byproduct. Yeah. Maybe a byproduct. Let's dissect this. Let's unpack it. That's what we do here. We unpack shit all over the place. <laughs> You should see this place. All the stuff unpacked. But it's... I just... I don't know. I would wish empathy for everybody. What a sterile, rigid, flat... Mean. Mean existence. Mean. Just... Why, in- why do you want to leave your, your mark on this world? Why, why do you want to leave your time? Why do you want to die and and have left a wake of unfeeling behind you. Don't you want to care for other humans? Right. Sorry, we're like guilt tripping the whole world right now. That's what we well, moms isn't do. That, isn't that the point? I mean, for us to be here and take care of each other and... It's the whole point. And... Yeah. We're all here together. I mean, when things get rough and like, I can't pay certain bills and people are flipping out i i stop myself and i go this is the this is the miasma this is the this is the soup of life yeah all of this it's hard but i've got to deal with it and through that hardness you get some really great stuff and you build character too word that's a big part of it so any last thoughts about empathy I'm going to think about this a lot more. I'm going to overthink this. Well, we kind of this. wanted to do a little, like, like a little 
series we were series talking about on empathy hmm. and we both had said something about depression mm. since we are experts on this subject yeah we got a lot so maybe we'll talk about that we'll next pull week. out the steamer trunk on that one and unpack that <laughs> Woo! <laughs> oh yeah series <laughs> in the middle of the three-part series <laughs> seven-part series on depression <laughs> Gosh, yeah. How does how um how does that all play out? Empathy and depression. Sometimes it feels like when I'm depressed, it feels like it's I'm over empathizing. Yeah. Like way over. Beyond myself. Leaving myself behind. Yeah. But we'll talk about that next show. Okay. <laughs> happy you're here Haley. i'm happy i'm here too i love you with you i love you too Kath. and ziggy ziggy and vespa have sweaters you guys <laughs> and you know why they have sweaters because cassie knows they're cold and she's empathizing with them i do know they're cold and she wants them to be warm and cozy and it's not just because i want them to be cute i promise well <laughs> The cute factor is like Kim off the chain. Kim walked in the door and the both of the dogs are excited to see her and they both have these Christmassy sweaters on. And I go, yes, I have turned into that old lady. I've got two little terriers with sweaters on. All right. Woo-hoo. Oh, everybody. Join us next week. Also, subscribe, right? Oh, yeah. Subscribe, like, follow, leave comments. Hug each other. Nice ones. Hug each other. That's... Everybody who's listening, you have, an, you have a homework assignment. Try to have empathy for somebody who doesn't have any empathy. Oh, man. I know, right? I don't even think I could do that. Teaching where you uh, is that called Maitri? I don't know. Where you think of someone that is <laughs> challenging to you and try to send them love and peace and understanding. Um. Yeah, probably. I mean, I know of lots of different, lots of different disciplines where that's like key. That's it's key one. to forgiveness and self awareness and. Um, Letting go of resentments. So are you and I going to do it too? Yeah. Okay. We'll do it too. Do you know who you're going to pick? I know who I, who, yeah. Who we all should pick? Who we all should pick, but man, it's hard. I try a lot. He's the hardest. I want to punch him in the freaking orange <laughs> sack. Bye, everybody! Woohoo! <laughs>